Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only working from my home in New York. Sarah Abbott is working from Bristol where she just fought some traffic on a really important day, Sarah, because you're going to find out today from uh, Todd Radom officially about whether or not you weren't credited with the proper amount of wins in the weekly quiz. Of all days for like every possible scenario to go wrong on my way getting here, it of course had to be today. So I think that's the universe telling me that you need to be more humble. This was a humbling experience. <laughs> yeah, and you came running into the studio. I could see on Zoom, you're like sprinting, like, stop, wait, don't start this. We must celebrate me today. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I'm out of breath. I'm a little bit out of breath. <laughs> so. All right. And working from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk, who just continues to ride the Orioles winning streak. Taylor, are you watching this every night? Oh, yeah, Buster. I was locked in. I think I, I was there for first pitch last night. I even went out. I grabbed myself a bite to eat, you know, 805 uh, first pitch time. Watched the whole thing. Nine in a row. 500 baseball back in Baltimore, Buster. Dude, you're giving away the... I mean, we haven't even gotten to it yet. <laughs> oh, no? man, you know me. That's no, not my right, strong let's suit. get to it. We got Orioles, we got Cubs in Chicago, and the Orioles actually trailing last night. Two to one, the top of the fourth inning when this happened. First pitch to Ramon Urias with a drive out to left field. Ian Happ, forget it. Ramon Urias with a two-run home run. This one almost clears Wrigley. And the Orioles... Take the lead, 3-2 in the fourth. Up in WBAL, and they would add on in the top of the seventh. First pitch swinging, Jorge Mateo deep to left field. Look up, look out, it's gone. Ambush home run, Jorge Mateo. Orioles boost a 4-2 lead in the seventh. And that would be the final score. Taylor, they're back at 500. According to Fangraphs, their chances for making the playoffs are at 2%, but it feels better than that at the moment. You're saying there's a chance, Buster. That's what I'm going with, man. Hey, we're, we're creeping. Let's play some consistent ball. Rays, Yanks will be a big test over the next week. Yeah, well, and the Yankees, you know, they lost a couple games in, uh, in Boston. And then this happened yesterday. Uh, they were in Cincinnati. Garrett Cole was throwing the ball great, top of the seventh inning. And the pitch, swing and a miss, 101. His fastest pitch of the night, and he strikes out three, 11 on the game, overpowering Moustakis for the final out of the seventh. Excuse me, that was in Yankee Stadium. Michael Kay with the call there. So it looked like the Yankees are in control. 3-0 lead, that great bullpen. Nope. The 0-2 pitch. India loops it into short center field. It's down for a base hit. One run will score. Here comes Solano. He'll score. And the Reds have come all the way back to take the lead. Jonathan India with his second hit tonight puts the Reds on top 4-3. to And from 700 WLW, the Reds win 4-3. to Chris Sale was really good in his return to the Red Sox rotation last night. He had five good innings. But then in the bottom of the six, this happened. The 1-1 pitch. Swing and a line drive off of Strom. Knocked his mid off. Tracks the ball down. Throws the first. It throws it away. Here comes Paredes around third. He will score. In the third base goes Mejia. The throw now gets away as it came to the plate. Here comes Mejia, and he will score. 
Red Sox are throwing it all over the place. And the Rays have taken a 3-2 lead. So, yeah, Taylor, when I was listening to that call of the Red Sox throwing the ball all around, of course I was thinking of the Benny Hill music. You know? Just a, uh, you know, a radio podcasting classic here to slap over some uh, some funny highlights. I like where your head's at. Right, exactly. I mean, and, and that's the way it went for the Red Sox last night. They lose 3-2, to two, but there was good news with how Sale pitched, and he spoke after the game about that. Uh, step in the right direction, obviously, after the last one. Um, command was spotty at times, but when I really had to bear down and get it, um, I felt like I was able to. So, um, you know, I wish it ended a little bit different, but part of it. You've been talking about arm strength for a long time and how good you feel about that. It's one thing to do it, you know, in Fort Myers or in minor league games, but were you really pleased with what you saw from the fastball, all that type of stuff? Uh, just overall strength towards the end of the game. Yeah. Um, I kind of felt better as it, it went on. Um, and being able to have my best stuff, my, my powerful stuff, feeling strong, you know, in the fourth and fifth inning, that's, uh, that's nice. So I'll just keep building off of that and try to string together some wins. And that's certainly better than last year when it seemed like he would fade toward the end of his starts. The Mariners game with the Nationals was rained out, so baseball's second hottest team behind the Orioles didn't have a chance to play last night. The home run derby field is rounding into shape. Pete Alonso, Ronald Acuna Jr., Albert Pujols, Juan Soto, Kyle Schwarber so far. We're waiting here officially from Giancarlo Stanton. We'll be talking with Dave Schoenfield about all that coming up. Speaking of Albert Pujols, the future Hall of Famer helped the Cardinals beat the Dodgers 7-6. The one-strike pitch. A swing and a long one to left field. Pujols has just hit a home run. One-nothing Cardinals. Albert Pujols with home run number 685. By the way, the uh, All-Stars are still being added as uh, Major League Baseball works through some of the injuries that have affected the roster. J.D. Martinez, the Red Sox, Garrett Cooper, the Marlins, and the Giants uh, ace, Carlos Rodon, have been added to the All-Star rosters. We'll be talking about Dave, with Dave about who else should be added here in the days ahead. Wander Franco is expected to miss five to eight weeks after hand surgery, so the Rays really vulnerable right now. Franco such an important part of their team. The Braves and the Mets, game two of this three-game series, and the Mets had a 1-0 lead into the bottom of the sixth inning, and then this happened. And delivers. Slider swung on, hit high and deep to center. Back goes Nemo at the track, at the wall, gone! Home run! What an at-bat by Matt Olson. And they would go on to win 4-1. to one. Spencer Strider started for the Braves. Threw a lot of pitches in this game. The Mets did a good job running up his pitch count, but Strider and the Braves come out with the win. Strider talked about the team having a dominant offense. Power offensively? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you look at our lineup versus their lineup, probably approach it very differently. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody in our lineup's got the chance to, to take you deep, and um, that uh, – that certainly means something when you're when you're game planning. It definitely is different, uh, or difference between these two teams. You saw at points last night, Strider going through that Mets lineup, which doesn't have a lot of home run power, basically challenging hitters. Like, you can't, you can't beat me. I'm just going to throw the ball down the middle uh, and uh, make you put the ball in play. He talked about how this was a big divisional series win. Just glad we won the game. Uh, you know, big divisional series, and it was a close one yesterday. Max Scherzer is obviously Max Scherzer, and so, you know, it's uh, – you hope to win this one, and uh, I'm glad that the offense 
performed really well, and we got the win. And we'll see who takes the series later today. Taylor, what else you got? Well, sir, a couple things to remote here. First of all, big event over here at ESPN, the captain. He was the face of the New York Yankees and the most admired player in baseball. The captain tells the story of Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career. Catch episode one at 10 p.m. Eastern following the conclusion of the Home Run Derby on ESPN and streaming on ESPN+. Also, ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, present not just football with Cam Hayward. Each week, fans get a peek behind the curtain of NFL life. Pittsburgh Steelers defensive tackle and five-dime pro bowler Cam Hayward gives his unfiltered thoughts on the league and headlines across all sports, not just football with Cam Hayward. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield covers baseball for ESPN, which means lately, Dave, you've been going crazy on all-star stuff. (laughs) You know, every year I get a year older and I say I'm not going to care as much about who makes the teams and whatnot, but... It's still fun to debate, right, Buster? Oh, 100%. And, and I, you know, I'm going to follow up on a conversation I had with Tim the other day, which I think is relevant in our conversation today uh, about, you know, guys who are not on the team and maybe how things should be handled differently going into the future. And I get the feeling you're going to agree with me. But uh, before we get to that, let's talk about the Baltimore Orioles, the hottest team in baseball, nine straight wins, two games out of the wild card race. <laughs> Go ahead. The floor is yours. Buster, I, let's just put it this way. Are you ready for that Mariners-Orioles ALCS? Wow. I See, I, I was going to give you a chance to rant about the Mariners not getting enough attention, but, you know, you, you, went, you went right there. Go ahead. No, I, look, I know you and Tim talked about Baltimore on Monday, but how exciting is this? You know, even through April, we're like, it's going to be another 100-loss year. They can't pitch. They can't hit. And here they are, nine in a row. They're in the playoff race, playing in the toughest division in baseball. I don't know if they can sustain it, Buster, but things are starting to come together. You can see the future. They're going to have another high draft pick, uh, first pick in the draft this year. Um, It's just, it's really fun to see after the last four years of absolutely awful, miserable baseball. And, you know, maybe they're for real. I don't know. Uh, I'd say this. They've now earned the right, the players. And as I talked about with Tim on Monday, boy, you're happy for Trey Mancini and Cedric Mullins, uh, you know, Brandon Hyde, 
you know, they're not you through this whole conversation about the Orioles and what they've done in recent years and tanking. No one's ever blamed the players, right? right? These guys show up, they put in their work. They're trying to win every game that they play. Um, so it's neat to see those guys have success. I think ownership now owes the players uh, the uh, addition of more help before we get to the trade deadline. Right. And we know they have the financial flexibility to do it. Yeah. What's their payroll, <laughs> whatever it is, it's, it's at the bottom of the majors. You're right. Trey Mancini would be a nice valuable asset for a team looking for a, you know, first baseman DH, but you're right. You can't sell out the players at this point. They've performed too well. You can't make those trades. Look, are they going to give away, you know, good prospects and a blockbuster trade? No, but, you know, there's holes on that team. They can still use pitching help, uh, maybe an infielder, you know. But, yeah, try, try to add a piece or two at the minimum. Yeah, because here's the thing. You and I know this is that by the time we get to uh, the trade deadline, you have teams – where they, you know, they know they're not going to win. And so if they can shed a little bit of payroll and help yep. their bottom line, they will do it. And, you know, the question is on the flip side, typically, which is which teams can actually add salary. And I don't have a long list of guys that might fit this category at the moment, but there are certainly players, guys who are headed into free agency in the fall, where if you called that team and said, um, hey, we'd like to take on player X in the remainder of his contract. We'll give you a bag of balls for him. Those deals can be made. And not just for, you know, the bad guys. I'm talking about, you know, good major league players, guys who potentially for the Orioles represent some upgrades. Yeah, that's a good point. We saw that last year. Cleveland dumped Eddie Rosario to Atlanta uh, for for it was good for Pablo Sandoval, who they immediately waived. So um, and that was like only saving a million dollars. That's how, how Cleveland operates. But you're right. There are those players that are out there where all you got to do is take on the money. You don't even have to give up a prospect. And, yeah, there's some speculation yeah. that they might do a thing where they, you know, maybe trade a couple pieces strategically, Trey Mancini because he's headed to free agency. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't. No, look, you can't tra- I mean, you're legitimately division. now in the race. Yeah, look at that division. I just watched Toronto-Seattle play four games. Blue Jays aren't blowing me away right now. They got some problems. The Tampa Bay lineup is horrendous right now. You know, they're batting, you know, three or four guys sitting under 200 every night. So Baltimore can catch those two teams. Those two teams are not powerhouses like we thought. So they they are in this thing. All right, I'm going to give you the floor now on your <laughs> Seattle Mariners. Well, I'm getting a lot of texts from my Mariners friends, and as, as exciting as last year was, we kind of knew that team was a fluke, right? The whole fun differential. They were winning all those extra inning games. You know, by some metrics, they were the best clutch-hitting team ever. You know, but it was kind of a fluke. But this year – they're better. And they were 29 and 39. They were dead, Buster. They were out of it. They looked terrible. They had injuries. Um, but now, when I think they've won 16 out of 19, Julio Rodriguez, man, Buster, this kid is something special. We're going to see him in the All-Star game. Um, but the key has been the pitching. It's been really good. Logan Gilbert's been great. Marco Gonzalez doesn't strike anybody out, but he finds ways to win. And the bullpen, once again, is doing the job. So, uh, And they're going to get some guys back. They should get Mitch Hanniger back after the All-Star break, hopefully Kyle Lewis, and, you know, Jerry DePoto, you know he'll do something. Oh, 100%. 
Uh, There's no doubt about that. And I, as we sit here today, I I think we can say the same thing about the Mariners that we can about every other team in the American League East that it's running behind the Yankees. They're not going to win the division. The Astros are a great team. They're going to win the division. But I do think, Dave, that when you look at the way this is playing out and you have four teams in the American League East who are going to beat the crap out of each other, five teams, they're going to hammer away at each other down the stretch. I think there's a chance the Mariners wind up as the number one wild card seed. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, the Rangers, the Angels, and the A's are going to play those teams a lot. They have a key stretch coming out of the All-Star game. I think they have 13 games or 10 out of 13 against the Astros and the Yankees. So that's a really, you know, big stretch right out of the break. Uh, That's why it's really key to try to get Hanniger back in the lineup, you know, hit 39 home runs last year. But I saw something Carl Santana said the other day, you know, about the chemistry and the enthusiasm. Uh, Probably wasn't a lot of that in Kansas City the last couple years. And you see this team, they really do have fun and this was the same story last year. Guys like J.P. Crawford and Rodriguez, just really good chemistry guys, and you see that on the field with that team. All right, we've got five confirmations for the Home Run Derby, and <laughs> you could shut it down now, and it would be a great yeah. group. Uh, Pete Alonso, defend, two-time defending champion, Ronald Acuna Jr., Albert Pools, Juan Soto, Kyle Schwarber, we're waiting for official confirmation uh, on Giancarlo Stanton. We're waiting for official confirmation on Julio Rodriguez, who you mentioned before. He's an exciting player. You know, we'll see if Will Smith has added the all-star team. There's uh, been talk that maybe he would be the guy who would uh, represent the Dodgers in Dodger Stadium's home run derby. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. You know, I was asked the other day on a radio hit about Pujols doing the home run derby. Why would you not want to see Albert Pujols in the home run derby? I get it. He's, he's going to win. Probably not. But let's see how he does. One of the greatest hitters of all time, you know, doing the home run derby at, what, 43, 42 years old? Um, yeah, I'm pumped. And I, the fact that Soto and Acuna are doing it again, that's great for the sport because we see a lot of these young guys. They do it once, and that's it. And it's easy. Look, it's tough competition there's always the risk of somebody getting hurt which we think what happened to Aaron Judge back in 2017 when he hurt his shoulder so I love the fact that those guys don't have to do it and they're coming back to do it again yeah uh, look I'm not going to pick Albert Pools to win the event right Uh, I'm probably going to wind up picking Juan Soto because I just saw last year I mean that guy was motivated like you can tell he really wants to win uh you know you got Pete Alonso's experience but I would say this what is Albert Pujols' struggles now as a player in his early 40s? It's not hitting the ball far. His right. problem is catching up with velocity, and that's not an issue in this event. Like, right. I could easily see him being the guy who gets into a groove and just rips out a bunch of home runs and shocks everybody. And, yeah, his swing more than ever is tailored for fly balls. That's kind of all he hits when he does connect. So, yeah, you know, the raw power means maybe he doesn't – that's what makes Alonzo so good. Alonzo yeah. doesn't have to work hard to hit home runs because he's so strong and that fits pool. So yeah, maybe he'll uh, shock us here. All right. I know something about the all-star selections has gotten into your skin. Uh, we'll start with this. I tweeted out yesterday after some additions were made uh, to the all-star roster, J- uh, JD Martinez, 
uh, among the three players added yesterday. I tweeted out this morning that, hey, who's the guy who's not on the team who's now most worthy? Some of the candidates that, that I threw out there, Josh Bell, Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, Daniel Bard, Ty France of your Mariners. Uh, some of the tweets followed uh, that with uh, mentioning Zach Wheeler, Dylan Cease. There's Kyle Wright. There's Spencer Strider. There's Tommy Edmond. What about you? If you were to pick one guy you'd like to see added? Well, my one guy, well, there's two. Can I say two? I got to okay. go Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman. And here's my rant. All right. Bryce Harper voted in as the DH in the National League, injured, can't play. Why do we need to put two other DHs on that roster? William Contreras, it's a nice story. The guy has 140 at bats. You know, he's really OPS over 900. He's been great, but he's not an all-star. Nope. And then they added Garrett Cooper of the Marlins. Great for him. You know, kind of one of those, you know, vets that just hangs around and is a nice player. But Fred, why are you picking Garrett Cooper and William Contreras over Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman? The goal should be to get the best players to the all-star game. And these last two fill-ins are not good choices. No, I completely agree with you. I think that, the, you know, as I talked about with Tim on Monday, you should use the DH for some flexibility yes. for adding guys who, you know, from other spots who, who haven't been, been able to fit in, maybe because there's a position saturated with great players. You know, third base, for example, this year it's National League first base has a lot of guys, so you can squeeze those in. Shoot, if you walked up to William Contreras today and said, what's your position? He's yeah. not going to tell you he's a DH. No. And so the idea that he's on the all-star team, as you said, with 143 plate appearances, is, is kind of silly. It's funny how, in the way Braves fans, who give them credit, they hit the ballot box, but in a way they screwed Austin Riley, who's a great player and was great last year, out of the out of a roster by voting for William Contreras. And yeah, look, I remember years ago, the American league had Derek Jeter, uh, Domar Garcia, Parra, Alex Rodriguez and Omar Vizquel. And they found a way to put all four of those shortstops on the roster. So yeah, you're right. If a position is loaded, who cares? Find a way to get the best players there. Yeah. And hopefully that'll happen. Uh, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I think the question about Will Smith is whether or not there's going to be a spot on the roster for him. Uh, and if there is, then maybe he becomes the, the eighth guy in the home run derby. Uh, our old friend and colleague, Jason Stark, Hall of Famer, reported this week about the pie slice experiment with uh, defensive shifts. That there's going to be this area behind and around second base where defenders are not going to be allowed to stand because baseball wants to restore the good old-fashioned single through the middle of the field. Uh, when you read this, what'd you think? Well, I get it. I think what they're finding out, as Jason pointed out in his article, is that limiting the shift in the minor leagues actually isn't adding all that many base hits, <laughs> you know, because you can still stand a guy right behind second base and cut off those hits up the middle. So, yeah, this will add more hits, no doubt. Um, I'm, I'm torn on the whole thing, you know. In the end, though, it's it gets to what do you want to reward? That's why the, the second baseman playing in shallow right field always bothers me because if, if you hit a 110-mile-an-hour laser and there's this guy playing there, that you know, you did your job and you're getting 
you're not getting rewarded, you know, but an eight hopper up the middle, do we want to reward that? You know, I guess that's what we're debating. So I don't know. I'm okay. If it gets a few more hits in the game, I guess maybe that's good. As we've done all these rule changes in recent years, uh, you know, putting the runner at second base in extra innings, et cetera, I've gotten to the point on it where it's, to me, it's all like plastic surgery. Like you right. want to create the, what you want to create. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> no, you and know, what? that's, and that's I get it. I want to increase offense. I do understand that part. And if their data shows that that's the way to do it, then I'm like, okay, that's fine. But I, I can't say that. I'm wild about the idea of, of telling players, you're not allowed to go into this area. You can put your spike on the line, but you're not allowed to go over it. That's going to feel a little silly to me. Yeah, no, I agree. And look, and the bottom line, if they want to get more offense in the game, there's two ways you're going to have to do it. And number one is move the mound back. And there's a million reasons why they don't want to do that. Nope. You know, and I get that. So all this maneuvering around the edges – I just don't know if it's really going to change all that much, you know, the action on the field. Right. It's baseball's Botox, right? Yeah. I mean, just, just doing anything you can to make it look a little bit better in terms of a product for people to, uh, to watch. Yeah. Uh, so yesterday the White Sox uh, lost the first game of doubleheader. There was again, a uh, conversation around Tony La Russa issuing an intentional walk. This was after the count went to own one uh, on Jose Ramirez. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of it. This was, was to me, what was noteworthy. Ozzie Guillen, former White Sox manager, former employee of White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf, being critical of Tony La Russa. Give a listen. Can I say something? Barry, I say a lot, but watch this. If you are a first-year manager, second-year manager, you need to keep your job and everybody, mm, here, baby, you my baby, you my son. You okay? Okay. Yes, I will take that. Yeah. But when you're a Hall of Famer, you know, nothing to lose. Yeah. The reason Tony Russo came here to direct this ball club better than Rick Renteria. Mm-hmm. It's true. Okay, here's your Tony. If I know I have nothing to lose, is I going to take that job? I don't care who like me or who not. We're going to do it this way. Why? Is I get fired? Thank you very much. I'm leaving. Thank you, Jerry, for the new opportunity. Thank you, guys. But I am put up with that, watching that type of baseball. I don't. I don't. I, I get fired. I come back and say, Chuck, can I go with you guys back? I know I have nothing to lose. <laughs> nothing to well, lose. Yeah. That's the reason Tony La Russa got that job it's because true. they was ready to win. If you do that to another manager, kid, okay, here it is. Well, you know, my boys, my babies, oh, they play hard, they play hard, you know, they almost come back, we have a good, but I understand that, but when you tell your rooster, who, from here, you go, ho- go home, or be walking somewhere out, because baseball, because he's, he's a baseball genius. That's how much I love that man, how much I respect the man, but you don't have nothing to lose. We gotta, we gotta dance this music. Yeah. If you not wanna dance that music, and the DJ, get off the floor. So Ozzy uh, basically saying that Tony Russo shouldn't accept the, the brand of baseball that the White Sox are playing right now. He should be more critical. I would say this. Uh, I have two thoughts on this. One, uh, I think if Tony La Russa were to do that, given the age difference that he has, uh, that would be not a good idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can imagine a response from Dave, uh, Dave from, from the White Sox players, if Tony La Russa were to essentially sound like a, an old man yelling at the cloud, I don't think that would be a good thing. The reason why I wanted to play that sound mostly was because, as I've, I've said on the podcast repeatedly, I said on Sports Center last night, all the opinions about Tony LaRusso don't matter 
unless Jerry Reinsdorf says, I want to make a change. He's the most yep. loyal owner in sports. Uh, he, he's, he's someone who re- has regretted for years uh, allowing Tony to be fired. So he brought him back. And now we have a situation where you've got one member of the White Sox family ripping another <laughs> member of the White Sox family. That, to me, was really interesting. What do you think? Yeah, and look, we've seen enough veiled quotes from the White Sox players the last couple of years that you're right. Angry Tony LaRussa is not going to work. No way in, are the players going to take that. And that's just not the way managers operate in today's game. That generation of the Earl Weaver, Billy Martin types, younger Tony LaRussa, that's not going to work in today's game. Yeah, I mean, look. But at what point is this on the players and not the manager? That's my question. Well, and here's the other thing, too, is that, uh, Tony, you can say all you want about Tony. The fact is is they've had these crushing number of injuries. Yeah. They're an extremely right-handed lineup. Uh, You know, uh, so there's a lot of other factors besides Tony La Russa. That's the part that, uh, as we sit here and watch this play out, I'm not ready to go, yeah, it's all Tony La Russa's fault. No, it's not. And look, luckily they're in a bad division. So, you know, the opportunity is there for a nice run in the second half for things to to come together. But you're right. I think we knew going into the year, there were some flaws in that lineup. You know, no, we didn't know they'd have all these injuries, you know, but we knew the right-handed problem. That was a problem last year when they lost in the playoffs. Houston ran one right-handed pitcher after another at them and they, they didn't score any runs. You know, yeah, some of the injuries, Lucas Giolito, 5.05 ERA. That's not Tony's fault. You know, this guy's been an all-star. You know, Lance Lynn's been hurt. So, but they didn't have the depth to recover from those injuries. And that's what the playoff teams have is the depth. And so that's an organizational issue, not a Tony La Russa issue. All right, Dave, thanks for doing this. And by the way, uh, I'm going to be talking with Elijah Green coming up. He's expected to be one of the first players taken the draft, a really interesting uh, uh, guy and someone who's really talented, and I know you're going to enjoy that conversation. Thanks for doing this. All right, you bet, Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Elijah Green is projected to be among the first players selected in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft, a product of the IMG Academy in Florida. He's a son of former NFL tight end Eric Green, who was a two-time pro bowler. Elijah, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, but you must be, as we get close to the draft, you must be getting excited to have all your, your dreams really begin to, to take fruition. Oh, yeah, 100%. Just knowing that I'm getting the recognition that I put in all the work and all these years, and it's finally, it's finally paying off. I'm very excited about it. So tell me about your plans for draft day, uh, what you're going to do. Um, first, I mean, I'll probably just chill out all day, and then whenever it gets the time, then we're going to go up to where we're holding the, the draft party yet and just chill up there until we have everyone there, and then we'll just see what happens from there. Nice. Well, now, will you, uh, during the course of the day, will you have a phone or you try to separate yourself from all that? Well, yeah, I have my phone on me at all times. So, I mean, I'll see everything, but I mean, I won't really try to pay mind to it. Yeah. And, and how, how excited are you about getting close to that process? Oh, I'm very excited. Just knowing that, like I said before, all the hard work's finally paying off and I'm just, I'm just ready to go play baseball again. Nice. Uh, how many teams have you spoken with during the course of this uh, process? Scouts, uh, representatives in the various clubs? Well, a lot of teams so far. Just, show, just looking at they showed all the interest in me and that they're telling me like they're telling me all the stuff about their organization. It's, it's truly a blessing. What type of questions have you gotten from the teams about uh, about you? Just mainly like just trying to get to know me and like what like how. I could change the organization around and just what would I bring to the table as I come in? Uh, I'm curious about uh, whether or not you have a feel as we sit here today, what teams would you guess uh, have interest in you? Cause it's always funny. There've been a number of instances where I've talked to players after the fact and they'll be like, yeah, I didn't talk to that team at all. There, for example, uh, you know, Mike Trout, uh, you know, some of the teams he thought were going to be most interested in didn't talk to him. Some of the teams that he thought would be most interested in uh, or didn't wouldn't have interest in him actually did. But they were trying to slow play it. So I'm curious from your perspective, who are some of the teams you've heard from the most? Well, I've heard from the most, uh, the Rangers, the Orioles, the Pirates, um, the Diamondbacks, those four mainly have really talked to the most, but all of them. I really have like, they've all showed interest in me. Nice. And what's that been like for you having those conversations? Well, I love to just like getting to know all of them and just seeing like how they see me as a player and just how they see me as a guy off the field. So in reading about you, the thing that jumped out to me was the fact that you made the decision pretty early. Uh, in fact, that it was about the same age that Trout was when he decided to stop playing football. Uh, based on what I read, you were about 13 years old. Is that first off, is that right? I was 14, 14. You were 14 years old when you make the decision to just focus on baseball. What were the conversations like behind that? I mean, it was kind of just my own decision because, like, 
knowing my dad played NFL and all that. So like, I kind of just like took it on my, on my own wing and like decided to just quit football on my own. What was it that you liked about uh, baseball so much? It was just going out there competing every day, just going out there playing with my boys and just hitting home runs, catching fly balls, diving for balls, all that. Like it's just all fun all, all the time. So tell me about your sort of trajectory starting out in baseball. When's the first time you played it? And, and at that age, what did you like about it the most? Um, I started playing baseball when I was six years old and it was just going out there and just having fun, like playing with no care in the world, just out there having fun, just playing with my friends, still my friends to this day since I was six. So I feel like just having the, the friendships all along these years has just been a great experience for me. You remember the first home run you hit in a competition? And, and if you do, can you tell us about that? I do actually. It was in T-ball. I played for the Mets. Um, it was it was still coach pitch and all that, but I mean, it was very impressive at a very young age. And what was it? Uh, what do you remember about the home run? I remember spinning around the bases, all happy. <laughs> do you still have any chance you still have the ball or no? I do not know. Okay. When you were growing up, who was your favorite team? Who was your favorite player? Growing up, my favorite team was the Yankees, and just growing like just watching Derek Jeter play for most of my life. It's it's like him. It's like him being a leader on the field, and just like just like him, he's the he's the leader for the infield. So like as a center field, I'm the leader of the outfield. So I kind of like put that in my game and just became a leader. Now there are players. You know this. There, there are a lot of uh, guys who play a sport, but they're not necessarily big fans of the sport. What about you? Uh, how much do you watch? How much do you enjoy? Uh, you know, following teams, following what's going on. I love watching the game of baseball. Just seeing like how they play the game and how they carry themselves, and just how become a major or uh, professional baseball player is just like really what I look for when I watch the game. So give me a couple of guys that you like to watch now who are playing in 2022. Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna, Aaron Judge are really guys I look to. And you being an outfielder, uh, how much uh, – who's an outfielder you like to watch for his defensive play? And in terms of your swing, and I want to ask you about that in a moment – uh, who's a hitter that you like to watch in terms of the development of their swing? Um, for defensive wise, I watch Mike Trout because just the way he goes get balls, how he robs home runs is like really what a dream of mine. I've never done it before, but that's always been one of a dream of mine, just robbing a home run. But on the hitting side, definitely Aaron Judge because we're both big, big, strong guys. So like he really doesn't have to do much to hit the ball out the ballpark. So I feel like I kind of implemented that in my game and just I don't really have to create power to to have the power. Yeah, that that's what jumped out of me. And look, I'm not going to I'm just a dopey sports writer, right? I didn't never <laughs> play above high school, but what jumped out at me about your swing when I've watched videotape of it is how simple it is. Uh mm -hmm. it, it doesn't feel like it feels like it you're focused on getting your foot down, having your timing down and letting your natural power play. Right. It's just uh it's really just a timing thing for me cuz like last year I had a I had a leg kick and everything and that really wasn't working for my timing and all that. But like, I kind of just settled it down and just – I just realized, like, I didn't need all that power to, to – like, I didn't need the leg to create all that power. So I just feel like me simply my swing really helped me. Who, who's someone who helped you with your swing and gave you the best advice in that regard? Uh, definitely my agent, Scotty Vitowski, because uh, he's always told me, like, you're already a big, strong guy. I really don't need to create all that power to get the ball over the fence. Like, if it's – if you hit – one foot over the fence is still a home run at the end of the day. So, like, it just doesn't – me creating the 
me creating the force with the leg kick really didn't really didn't help me at all. So being a high-end prospect, you probably have been exposed to, uh, you know, big-time big athletes, probably some major leaguers along the way. Uh, I'm mm. curious about it, uh, if you can relate an experience of someone you got to meet that you had fun speaking with, and what was your takeaway from that? Um, I, think I, was, I think I was 14 when I went to hit with Daz Cameron. That was an unreal experience because, like, I just just watching him, just how professionally he carried himself and just how professionally he, like, he practiced and how he took, he took everything so serious during practice. So like, I kind of picked that up. Like, for example, like he was hitting off the tee and it was just very all line drives, very professional. So Elijah, you know, in my time covering baseball, uh, you know, I've known a lot of guys who came from uh, families of athletes and they are always just a little bit different. You know, there's a different level of, of expectation uh, of presence uh, they seem much more at ease in a, in, you know, once they reach the big leagues, tell me about the influence of your dad and, and what you took away from him. Just knowing that like, he knew what it took to get to the next level. I really like would always listen to him and just see, hear what he has to say. Cause he's not trying to steer in the wrong direction. So I feel like he has really put effort, like the work ethic, always to work hard. And he always told me never, never know who's watching. So I feel like going, going with that. And it just always, taught me to always work hard and just my work ethic has increased so much in the past four years ever since I played baseball. Now, uh, he played, his career was actually before you were born. How much have you gone back and, and, and watched uh, games from when he played? Well, he'll send me videos from when he played back in the day. So, like, I, I've seen a, quite a bit of few. Nice. And what would you take away from those? Well, he was a big, strong guy, just like me, and it was very – very hard people to tackle him. So I feel like he was always a self-starter and he always wanted to go get it. So I feel like he kind of put that into me. So as we sit here today, we look ahead to the draft. What are your expectations? What are your, what are your hopes, your dreams about where you're going to land? Well, I mean, any team would be great for me to land at, but I mean, just getting drafted in general in the first round is really a big dream of mine. All right. Uh, before we go, last one. Uh, we've seen in recent years since Jose Bautista in the playoffs in 2016, the bat flips come into the sport a lot more. Tell me what you think about mm -hmm. the bat flip. Oh, I love it. I think it brings energy to the scene. I mean, pitchers are not going to like it because they're letting up home runs. But I mean, if it just brings the energy to your team, is that's really all you need for baseball. Like if you have the energy, then you're going to come up on top. What was the best bat flip that you ever did? And what were the, what were the circumstances? Um, best bat flip, I think, was in Hoover, Alabama, against Cannons Baseball Un uh, University. But that was – they were winning three to two in the last inning. And I you know, it was a solo home run and just put our team – just gave an insurance run and just <laughs> gave us more of a cushion for the last inning. And you've established that you love to watch baseball. You're a fan. Uh, what's the best bat flip that comes to mind when you think about some big leaguer? Um, oof. Mm. Probably Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, he's, he's very solo smooth. with it, but he, he's very smooth with it. Exactly. All right, sir. Well, I will probably see you on Sunday, uh, certainly on television. Good luck. Thank you. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd's 
last week, we uh, introduced, Sarah introduced the question of whether or not she actually had uh, not been credited with some successful answers in the past. Uh, you promised to go back and do some studying on this matter and to come back with a ruling. So the floor is now officially yours. Buster, every week, your first words to me are, how are you doing this week, Todd? It's always a little softball right up the middle. And this week, you come at me with this. So I'm ready. Uh, I was going to say, and I will say, I am excited for All-Star Week in Los Angeles. But at the same time, I am chastened. I am humbled. My Any hubris that exists in my body has seeped out. And I make this, I want to take this opportunity to formally apologize to Sarah. I have uh, issued a Supreme Court statement on Twitter, which if nobody has seen it, if if people have not seen it, you should take a look. So uh, again, I I pledge to do a better job. It's mid-season. We need to recalibrate whatever's going on. And uh, that's where things are. Sarah? It feels great. Um, I forgive you also. It's all right. You know, mistakes happen. <laughs> Nobody's perfect except for me, apparently, where I am never wrong. <laughs> um, oh, took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could, have col- we could have color questions for Buster and statistical baseball questions for Sarah. <laughs> you and know what? Taylor could sense an opening here. <laughs> My ACT prep class has really come through for me in these quizzes <laughs> but justice has been served and i slept great last night knowing that we were going to talk about this today i've been yeah, really and, and and that is what it's all you know we need to get things right you and i are okay i just need to make sure that we're we're okay with this i think trust is always you know core to the underpinning of every relationship we have in the world every relationship and when you lose trust there's nothing left. So as long as you and I trust one another, our friendship is intact and uh, we can proceed forward. Yes, honesty, we can move forward. Yeah, with honesty, with integrity, uh, with a, a humble review of the record, Todd Radom comes down with the ruling. We really need a gavel sound at this point. Nice. And it also feels like coming off that ruling, we are going to get to the fans and franchise, but we need to do this week's quiz to see if Sarah can continue on this wild roll she is apparently on now with successful answers. All right. And just as long as we're getting everything on the record right now, the current standings are indicated as follows. Buster with a mighty seven. Sarah, not too far behind with five. And then we've got Taylor with three. So that's where we're at. But Taylor's an Orioles fan. So who knows, right? Who knows? Things are on fire. You don't don't let us win today. It's the Kevin Millar thing always. So, you know, <laughs> it, it could well be that the Taylor and his Orioles are are ready to rock into the second half of the season on a mighty note. So here we go. Week 17 for us. One of these was not one of the finalists when the New York Mets were named in 1961. Which one was it? Was it the Rebels? Was it the Apples? Was it the Avengers? Or the Burroughs. One of these was not one of the finalists when the New York Mets were named in 1961. Rebels, Apples, Avengers, or Burroughs. Wow. Well, Sarah, I'm going to let you go first since you are uh, got this incredible ruling today. I'm sure you're going to want to build on that momentum. 
Oh, man, the pressure. The pressure is getting to me. I'm going to go Avengers. Okay. Uh, Taylor? What was uh, A again? Did you say that was Rebels, Todd? Rebels, Apples, Avengers, and Burrows with a U, like like donkeys. Okay. I'm going to go Rebels, A. Yeah, that seems like the obvious choice, if you don't know it, and I don't actually know the answer. Um, but that seems like the obvious choice. I can't imagine in the 100 years... You know, 100 years after the Civil War that you're going to have a team in New York naming their, their club the Rebels. I'm going to go. Uh, see, we're going to get it, mix it up a little bit. I'm going to go Apples. Buster, you are the man because oh. Apples was not one of the finalists. Rebels <laughs> incongruously was along with Avengers and Burroughs, a take on the Burroughs of New York. So Buster increases his lead. It is now eight for Buster. Five for Sarah, three for Taylor. And uh, again, on the record, that's where things stand. Very nice. Before we move on from uh, the ruling, Taylor, we have not heard from you. Who, In a sense, you're almost like the one who lost with that ruling because all of a sudden the standings <laughs> look very different. Yes, uh, you could say that I'm buried uh, for sure. Uh, you know, I'll give it to Sarah. She's got the answers right. She should be, you know, correctly adjusted in the scoreboard so i'm i'm happy for her i guess we'll move on i like the fact that taylor's deferring to the rule of law like we could all learn that lesson (laughs) listen you can't facts are facts when we start to dispute facts we enter slippery slope territory and you know that's the way i felt about Sarah basically calling me out in front of a, a large public and there was no no choice on my part so taylor for you to Kind of, you know, go right accept into that the as well. Decision, to accept the decision. I'm very mature. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're realists. We're cold eye realists. That's it. Exactly. All right. What's this week's Phantom franchise? So, Buster, the Philadelphia Athletics were running on fumes in early 1954. The city of brotherly love had been home to Connie Max A's since they were founded in 1901. But now they were close to bankruptcy, heavily mortgaged drawing less than 5,000 fans per home game and torn by Mac family infighting and chronic mismanagement. 91-year-old majority owner Connie Mac traveled to Los Angeles in February 1954 to discuss plans for a movie based on his life story, with actor Jimmy Stewart prominently mentioned in the lead role. He spoke to the press about the team's plight. I love Philadelphia. It's my home, he said, but I heartily am in favor of moving the athletics to Los Angeles. He went on to say with accuracy that it was becoming increasingly difficult for two teams to share a city. The St. Louis Browns had recently moved to Baltimore and the Braves were transferred from Boston to Milwaukee a year prior. The following day, his sons cleaned up his comments, denying that a move was in the offing. We aren't dreaming of moving out of Philadelphia, said his son Earl, adding, quote, If my dad went up to Minneapolis or any other city and was asked questions about moving the athletics, he'd go along. Meanwhile, in early May, an L.A. newspaper published a report stating that Bill Veck, former White Sox and Browns owner, was in the process of engineering a purchase of the athletics, who would have played their home games at minor league Wrigley Field, which was the future first home of today's Angels. Earl Mack and his brother Roy again, issued strong denials, and San Francisco jumped into the mix in June, a move that was rebuffed by the Mac family. 
Two months later, the A's continuing to bleed cash and lose games were singing a different tune, with Roy Mack telling the Associated Press, there isn't a chance of the A's remaining in Philly. Ultimately, however, it was Kansas City that pried the A's away after a torturous process that saw the team change hands for $3.5 million, $1.5 million for Mack family shares, plus $2 million in debt. The Athletics held forth in Kansas City for 13 seasons before moving to Oakland in 1968. But today, Buster, we contemplate the possibility of a Los Angeles Athletics, who are this week's phantom franchise. I love Connie Mack, Todd, at the end of his life being like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to say what I think. <laughs> I, want, I want Jimmy Stewart to play me in a movie. That's my right, primary concern. Exactly, and his kids are like, no, no, Dad didn't really mean that. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, yeah. Haven't we all been there at the Thanksgiving or Christmas table? <laughs> yes, but we, but but in that case, we probably didn't own a Major League Baseball team, one of True. 16 at the time. And, you know, every week we talk about certain franchises that are just, I keep using the expressions, running on fumes, bleeding cash, blah, 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 blah. And that, that race to Los Angeles, the Dodgers, and of course it's All-Star Week coming up, they get out there. Can you imagine the athletics in L.A.? We wouldn't be talking about a move to Vegas or Howard Terminal or anything like that. Wow. Yeah. And I'm thinking about how, boy, as a fan of grew up, uh, you know, as someone who grew up a fan of the Dodgers, whew, that, that would be very different. That's for sure. All right, Todd, thanks for doing this. I will see you in L.A. All right. Thank you, guys. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Reggie at baseball. Yoda weather writes in, you know, things are changing when let's go. O's chant is uh, going on at Wrigley before the game just ended. That was a lot of fun, Buster. Enjoyed yeah, it. Taylor, I let you take it. I mean, you, you are on the pedal stool now yes. as an Orioles fan. It's been a, it's been a long time. It hasn't happened while I've been producing the show, so I will certainly lap it up. Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim one writes in Buster. I feel like we need some context as to why you and Jake are enjoying drinks from a Yeti during the Braves Mets series. Are y'all watching outside or do you simply not have a fridge? Hmm. <laughs> and no modern amenities <laughs> live in a dark ages. But I appreciate the question um, as his dad just trying to do something fun. Right. To, to signify it's a special time. It's kind of like uh, when we watch football together, we get a pizza, order pizza from the same place. Uh, when we watch baseball together, I like to fill a Yeti with some uh, some ice and fill it with uh, his favorite drink and, and enjoy that. Just make it feel a little bit different. A lot of fun. Josh Estes Wah is up next. Josh writes in, am I crazy for thinking Kirk hitting leadoff is what the Blue Jays need to do on offense? Springer hitting leadoff home runs is cool and all, but two home run runners in scoring position opportunities for Springer, Bichette, and Vladdy. What do you think? Yeah, just try something different. That's the way I look at it. You know, with how they're playing, with how everything's going, uh, you know, whether it's Kirk in the leadoff spot or shaking things up or just do something different because the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result. Kyle Benning at Kyle underscore Benning with the last question of the day. With the Mets' need for a catcher and their declaration about willing to take on bad contracts, are they the most likely suitor for Wilson Contreras? And will they also be taking Jason Hayward's contract in the deal? No. 
I don't think they're going to be the team that's going to land Wilson Contreras. I think their focus uh, with their catching is totally defense. And if they add a, somebody, it's going to be with defense. Uh, I saw Sandy Alderson did a podcast with Joel Sherman in which he basically said that, you know, DH is a good spot. So you wonder if they're going to be the team that's going to land Josh Bell, who would be a heck of a, you know, a way to augment that lineup because there's no question. When you, as I mentioned early in the podcast, you watch the Braves, you watch the Mets. Braves have a bunch of power headers. The Mets don't. Love the speculation. Hashtag Bleacher tweets on Twitter while you're watching games. Thanks for writing in, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Elijah, Dave, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.